Welcome to the Rhythm Changes podcast. I'm your host, Will Chernoff. This episode is sponsored by 12th Street Sound, a recording studio in New Westminster, and my favorite place to record and mix my music. Anthony Sanarini at 12th Street Sound does album, EP, and single recording, mixing for your music, filming of live session videos in studio, and full production services. I found his studio to be of excellent value, and his recordings stand up to the best of the best. And when I record with Anthony, I get the space to craft my story as an artist. He has great gear and great ears, and he's recorded some of my most streamed tracks of all time. My very most streamed track called Little Milk Discovery by William Chernoff. You can check out 12th Street Sound today at 12thstreet.ca slash booking to tell Anthony about your next project for 2022. And when you book now, tell him that the RCP sent you. That's 12thst.ca slash booking to get going on your next music project today. And tell Anthony that the RCP sent you. This month, March 2022, I launched something new and different at Rhythm Changes. It's called The Update, where I'm writing three times per week, delivering it to you by email and also making it available on the web or in your feed reader for subscribers only. The updates consist of fun and insightful stories on creative music in Canada, and especially the Vancouver scene that I experience on a daily basis. I've really been enjoying sharing them with the first group of subscribers here in the launch month. And so as we close out March 2022, I'm inviting you to subscribe now as well. You can do that at rhythmchanges.ca slash update, where you'll get access to a discount and a special price for being an early subscriber. And if you want to learn more, I'm also including a page in the description of this episode where you can read more about what I'm doing there and find links to my FAQ page. But to get access to a special price, subscribe now at rhythmchanges.ca slash update to get the Rhythm Changes update today. I like the idea of a con- like of a connoisseur. What is a connoisseur? And how do you become a connoisseur of wristwatches or what you know whatever it is that you know about? And so I thought about the idea of being a connoisseur of love. Like what does that mean to people? Why do people buy like $80 socks? The marketing had to be of something about like you're not a rich jerk, you're a sock connoisseur. Happy Wednesday from New Westminster, BC, and this is the Rhythm Changes Podcast, the only weekly interview podcast about creative music in Canada. As an active performer, my favorite moments from the working world of music have been the stories that we tell before, during, and after shows, and the Rhythm Changes Podcast tells stories like these. Keep in touch with the BC music community in 30 minutes each week. This week, I bring you one of my favorite musicians on Vancouver Island. That's up next. Our guest today is a singer who released her second vocal jazz album, Love for Connoisseurs, on March 25th, 2022. Here in BC, where she has lived for 25 years now, she performed in support of the album at Frankie's in Vancouver, Herman's in Victoria, and Char's Landing in Port Alberni before embarking on a cross-Canada tour. Her band for those BC dates was Miles Black on piano, Ken Lister on bass, and Buff Allen on drums. And on her album, you'll hear Miles, as well as Jody Prosnick on bass, Joel Fountain on drums, and Dave Say on saxophone. You can find her online at angelasjazz.com, find her on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter under her own name, and stream her album anywhere. So please welcome to the Rhythm Changes podcast, Angela Verbruge. Thanks for having me on, Will. My pleasure. Now, I want to start off with Dave Frischberg, because his name keeps coming up on the podcast. When I talk to 
Darlene Cooper and Bill Sample for their Wild Blue Herons album release. Darlene mentioned Frischberg. And when I talked to Carmen J. Price, he mentioned him as well. And I know that uh, at least one reviewer has compared your kind of wittier songs to Dave Frischberg. So is he a big influence on you? He is. I mean, I really wish I could have met him before he passed away. Yeah. I have his, uh, I have the book about his life, I guess, that he, he wrote that one. Um, and somebody else edited it, I believe. And uh, it was interesting to to read his story. I mean, he is an influence and he isn't in the sense that I think my opinions and values were formed earlier than when I first heard him. Okay. Yeah. So I think it's inspiring to know what kind of career he had as a lyricist and the way that he was able to put together lyrics in a humorous way. I found as a vocalist before I knew about him that there weren't that many standards in our great American songbook or whatnot that were really very funny. Like, I mean, you have the potato, potato kind of songs and, you know, (laughs) but then you're flipping through for real books and trying to find something that is um, more lighthearted and funny. And there's there's a few for sure, but um, I like to entertain and some songs that have that character to them that, that have, you know, a lot of our, our Great American Songbook did come from old musicals. And that is one of the first ways that I experienced them growing up in Amherstview, Ontario with parents that were not in jazz, being part of a high school music program that was very strong, but didn't have a lot of jazz happening. We were reading big band charts. I played trombone and we sang choral arrangements, but it wasn't jazz. And so my first exposure to a lot of these songs was at the video store when other kids were renting um, Friday the 13th or whatever, oh. like horror movies. I was like, oh, singing in the rain. Let's bring that home. <laughs> oh, man. Nice. Yeah, I mean, I would say your most kind of witty Frischbergy songs on this new album would probably be Enough's Enough, which was one of the notable singles where you talk about house cleaning and chores and 20th Century Fox, where you have that pun on the good man being that title character of the, the 20th Century Fox. Sometimes... You know, I don't totally decide these things like when I listen to the compositions by the partner composers that I'm working with, I hear a catchphrase, you know, somewhere in the melody, I hear 20th Century Fox, or I heard with my first album, I heard I'm running late, and then the rest of it kind of comes out of that. And for enough's enough, I thought, well, what, what could enough be enough of? And for me, that's definitely cleaning. So, Uh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. And that was one of my uh, top picks, too. I also really loved Maybe Now's the Time. That was one of my favorite tracks. Uh, It kind of has that centerpiece vibe. And Miles Black composed the music for that tune. It's like a blues that goes up half steps from B flat all the way up to E flat, right? Right. And maybe it is Now's the Time because (laughs) that's how I first wrote it is I wrote it or lyrics for Charlie Parker's um, Now's the Time. Actually, Sheila Jordan helped me smooth a few places over. And I started performing them like at jams and different places a few years ago. But um, in terms of getting the Parker estate to bless them, I I don't know if that was going to be possible. So um, Miles composed an alternate melody inspired by Now's the Time. There you go. So you have two Vancouver-based composers of the music to which you wrote all the lyrics throughout the whole album. Miles Black, who wrote that tune, 
and uh, Saul Burson, who wrote Not Here, Not Now, which is like a tango with a soprano sax playing by Dave Say. You could have collaborated with them locally, you being based in Victoria and also frequently coming to Vancouver, or online back and forth. And the other composers, other than yourself, are New York-based musicians. How does this sort of process happen where you end up connecting with these people and finishing these compositions that they started the music for? This did happen over time after the first album. I I loved standards and I started to put together, I went to Vermont Jazz Center and I met the producer of the first album, Cameron Brown, who's very experienced um, bassist, has played on a lot of famous recordings and worked with Sheila Jordan a lot. And he had invited me to come to New York and make a record. And I thought, oh my goodness, I'm so out of my league. I've got to figure out what I can do on that record. And so that's when I started trying to write some lyrics and some original material. It continued when I was going to Frankie's. When I lived in Vancouver up until 2019, I was frequently at Frankie's, at least, you know, for the second set, if I could uh, get the kids to bed and get down there. And so I met a lot of New York instrumentalists that were coming through town and heard their music. So in the case of Cold and Hot Blues, I heard Ken Bowser perform that at Frankie's. And I loved it. And I went home and stayed up all night and wrote those lyrics. And then he had two nights at Frankie's. So I brought them back the next night. I like <laughs> texted them to him and like kind of talked to him right then and there about the idea of bringing his composition into the vocal jazz repertoire. His song originally had been called Blues for Mabes. He had a little bit of hesitation that it was not going to be about Mabes in the vocal uh, version, that it's this love story set in winter where um, the feeling that you're going to see someone that you're excited, very excited and romantically interested in, and you don't bother zipping up your coat, you don't bother putting your scarf or your hat on, and it's cold, but you're kind of half running and you're feeling a bit reckless with the ice and jumping over that puddle and whatever, because you're just like wanting to get there and meet up with them. I felt like that was the the story. So then I was like, uh-oh, does it need to be about Mabes? And so then actually I talked to Harold Mayburn when he was recording uh, recording his last uh, project in Canada. Well, he had one more that was released on Smoke, but um, Smoke Sessions label. But um, yeah, Michael Glenn was actually staying with me. I had an extra room and so I would often put up musicians that were visiting Vancouver. And so we went down to Frankie's to uh, to hear that that recording that night. And I asked... Mr. Mayburn, would it be okay if the song that Ken Fowser wrote for you in tribute to you wasn't about you? Is that okay? <laughs> and oh. he's like, oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, no problem. No problem. So uh, <laughs> so that I told Ken, okay, it's, I think I think we're good to go here. And he's not going to be offended that that it wasn't about him. But yeah, each of them kind of have a different a different story as to how they how they came about. I, I worked on Ray Gallen's uh, seller recording kind of as his production assistant from the get-go after I made my record with him I was like come on you got to make a record as a leader and um, sort of helped him with all the administrative and marketing organization to make to pull that together and make that happen so I was very familiar with all his repertoire and listening to different takes and the different mixes and mastering and all of that and so I knew his I knew his material really well so my Enough's Enough, the one about cleaning, is called Plus One instrumentally. Okay. And um, Nick Hampton, the 20th Century Fox one, it's called 10th Street Turnaround. 
And probably also, I think I heard him play that at Frankie's or maybe at Smalls when I was in New York. And he he kindly added a verse for me for that one. And uh, Ray's um, Harm's Way is because it was written originally as a as an etude for his students um, to explore the harmonic minor scale. And he recorded it with Kenny Washington, David Wong, on, and it's been very popular on the streaming platforms. It's a really fast, up-tempo, fun one. And he added uh, a verse for me as well to uh, set that story up before I tell the stories of a bad boyfriend through the song Dive Turkey. Oh, yeah. So yeah, there's just like a lot, a lot of different, uh, different um, ways that these things come about. Yeah, cool. And then you've got Neil Miner because this album came out on the Gut String Records label, which is Neil Miner's label name. So he also contributed two tunes compositionally to the album. This is Manhattan and Mr. Wright. So what's your collaboration with Neil been like? Right. So Neil offered to put out my first album after um, hearing it through his connection with Ray. He's active um, bassist on the scene in, in New York. He had toured with Jane Monheit, and um, he wrote the Mr. Wright song that he calls Blues Okura when he was in Japan on tour with her. And he used to be um, doing quite a few uh, gigs in New York with Annie Ross of Lambert Hendricks and Ross. And and so I was like, Neil, can you bring I'm Running Late and see what Annie thinks of it? I'd love to know. But he never he, it never happened before she passed away, unfortunately. But, oh. um, but yeah, Neil became a friend and an ally through through me releasing the first album on Gut String. And I listened to a lot of his music and I really, his some of his compositions just caught my ear. And so I asked him if it was, if it was cool if I tried to write lyrics for them. And, you know, there's always this kind of dance at first. Um, how much effort and time do I put into it before I show it to the composer? Because I want them to see the potential, but I don't want to invest like weeks of time and then they don't like the concept or the the idea at all and then oh. have, have to discard it. So, um, you know, usually I write like maybe have have a draft, you know, have a have a strong draft, but it's not a final version by any means and run it by them. And they usually have some suggestions or ideas too to contribute, which is which is helpful. So yeah, Neil's um, This Is Manhattan is his Manhattan Spring. So again, it, it's kind of fun, I think, to listen to them back to back and see what elements of, you know, how we adapted it with um, our quartet. He recorded that one with Peter Bernstein and Chris Byers. And it's a great record, a sweet tooth record. And um, so those were the ones that most caught my ear on that record and that I attempted it. And then when when I was applying for funding from the government, they, you know, of course, they love to see original Canadian content and innovation. And so I thought that I would focus on finishing maybe the drafts that I had started on some of those songs. And of course, this was just a, when you don't have a jazz diva, <laughs> jazz great to to emulate on like you do with standards, you have inspiration, people take it, have taken it different ways. You can find many recordings of every song pretty much to be inspired by or to, on the opposite hand, to think, how can I do it differently than all of them? In these cases, with with new repertoire, to come up with the arrangements and learn to sing it. Some of them are very tricky melodies with just for different reasons, they're, they're tricky tunes to um, uh, sing, as well as, 
you know, just to decide about the arrangements and how to feature different members of the band or extrapolate on what the composer intended while you still want to have the integrity of the song so that people can hear the melody for the first time vocally. Yeah. And then you wrote three songs yourself, music and lyrics, the title track, Love for Connoisseurs, Je ne veux pas de dire bonsoir, and Corn on the Cob. So when did you write those songs in the context of the journey to get to this album out? Um, the French song is the um, translation of the title track from my first album, The Night We Couldn't Say Goodnight. So I thought it would be fun to bring it into French. And um, so I, at one point, I just sat down, like I do, I did study in high school. I studied, I took a couple of, in, in Ontario, we have OACs, grade 13 in, in my day. And so I had um, studied French and, but I had Google Translate in my dictionary and, <laughs> and I had, I had a friend from France help me smooth it over and um, work on the pronunciation <laughs> quite a lot. So, gotcha. uh, so that, that happened with that one. And actually uh, when I was in London singing in October, there's a Brazilian um, guitarist, vocalist who has now written Portuguese lyrics for it. Okay. And they sound so beautiful. I'm so excited to figure out how to record that with him. And then, yeah, the corn on the cob, I decided I would like to try to write a contrafact for um, Surrey with a fringe on top. (laughs) And so I built into the C section, I built in the kind of tag and uh, added a verse. And uh, yeah, so most people don't seem to recognize it. So <laughs> it kind of has the country <laughs> flavor still. I was inspired by like the Oklahoma that it, that Surrey is from and a romance over at a summer picnic where the gentleman in question brings her, uh, I think sees her hungrily waiting and brings her like a really, like you know, growing up in Ontario uh, near Kingston, my dad, his parents, my grandparents and family, they would grow corn. And it's kind of, I think like out here, if salmon has been frozen, people are like, oh, it's already been frozen. No, thanks. Like I want fresh, you know, <laughs> fresh salmon. <laughs> yeah. And in Ontario, like if corn is too old or if it's, you know, hasn't been picked um, soon enough, it's just like, no, that's for cows. <laughs> it's oh, yeah. <laughs> so that this uh, gentleman caller in this case brought like the most sweet, delicious, fresh, hot cob of corn to her at the picnic. And then they have this quirky romance where, you know, she notices that his he's got so much sunscreen caked on. He's not a <laughs> classic Romeo. And then what was, oh, the third oh, yeah. one? And then the title track. Love for Connoisseurs. Um, yeah, that one, um, I actually wrote the melody first and then had this song that originally I had some other kind of almost more contemporary chords with it. And I, when I was just working with the melody to think about the lyrics, I realized that I wanted it to be more of like a beyond the sea, like a classic 50s big band song. I felt like kind of somehow inspired by the water like I felt like it was like an it was a song about sailing or ocean just the way that the melody I I don't know how to explain it but that's just the imagery that kept coming to mind and so I used um, for the lyrics I wanted to talk about love and a lot of our jazz vocal jazz repertoire is about new love or love gone wrong but um, 
use to use this to talk about enduring love and from the electric impulse across the room, the initial attraction and how love can struggle, the well runs dry and love and then water the water or the love comes flooding back in and replenishes the relationship and it gets stronger and and I guess the connoisseurs came from um at one point I had read <laughs> I had read this article in some magazine at a doctor's office or something where they were um they were talking about why do people buy like eighty dollars socks? Okay. So they were saying, well like the marketing had to be of something about like you're not a rich jerk, you're a sock connoisseur. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought that was so funny, right? Like just Oh, <laughs> so I thought I like the idea of a con- like of a connoisseur. What is a connoisseur, and how do you become a connoisseur of socks or wristwatches or what you know whatever it is that you're that you think that you know about? And so I thought about the idea of being a connoisseur of love. Like how how does what does that mean to people? Oh yeah, love it. <laughs> a mixture of the funny and the profound, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah. I have a couple of questions just about all the great work you're doing as an independent artist here to get this album out into the world. And there's two different parts to that that I have observed. And one of them is that you run the Jazz in Victoria Facebook group. What's that been like as a puzzle piece in promoting probably both your albums, but especially this one? Well, uh, yeah, when I moved to Victoria, I noticed like I kind of missed the Jazz in Vancouver Facebook page as a way of communicating with other jazz-specific musicians and vocalists and um, community members, photographers, or, you know, whoever, fans, um, that it was... So I I just started it and started inviting anybody that I, I knew to join. And um, I try to change the cover page regularly, the the cover image to feature if I've been out at a show and I've taken a picture or if people crop and provide it to me, I'm happy to put it up or to remember a member of the community who's passed away. Um, So I think it's, I think it's nice. It's nice to even refer back to um, as like a bit of a history of our, of our jazz community, uh, what's happening and who's active. And um, we've had, we've lost a couple of people this year. Um, we lost a saxophonist, Sean Winter, to a drug overdose. And um, we lost a vocalist friend that I met originally at Swing Camp um, to pneumonia. So, and and they're both younger than, you know, you would expect to suddenly lose a friend. So, that, so yeah, I think it's a nice, um, a nice way for people to share community big band videos or, uh, yeah, I, I, I like doing it. It's not a lot of work. And um, it does give me an opportunity to share my own links and um, things that I'm working on. It the only the only thing that I think is, I wish that we had a little bit more engagement. I think at some point, I almost like to do a, a workshop with someone who understands Facebook and Instagram and social media algorithms for our community. Because what I'm learning when I have taken some of these workshops is that if you not only just like a post, but if you actually take the time to comment, then the algorithm shows it to more people. You know, like why you why do you see somebody's birthday or it's their anniversary 
it's easy for people because they can type happy birthday or happy anniversary or congratulations and your engagement or whatever. And then Facebook starts recycling that up to the top, floats it up to the top of people's feed over and over again. Whereas sometimes if, if as musicians, we share a link to stream our new song that takes us away from Facebook, that's just going to sink like a rock. Or if we share a pre-save link, again, that's going to take you off Facebook. So just finding ways as a community to support each other, to share information about our gigs, about our releases, about our educational pursuits or offerings, if people are offering lessons. Yeah, I just I just think that if the community is strong, we're all we're all better off. So just finding ways I try to take a moment and just quickly comment on as many posts as I can. And I don't want to be on social media all the time either, but oh, yeah. if we, if we all kind of, uh, and, and we don't always know the right thing to say and some of us are shy and all of that, but it does make a difference um, just to take Karen Plato's amazing in Vancouver. She's always, you know, posting other people's gigs or um, announcements and sharing kind words about, things that she's witnessed in the community i think to look to role models like her for how we can all lift each other up i love that karen has shared this show the rhythm changes podcast multiple times when she found it so thanks karen for that much appreciated (laughs) yeah you'll have to have her on soon yeah i want to close out here by asking you one more thing about the album because when i was looking through the credits of course you recorded it with dave sakula at monarch in vancouver in march 2021 but you have a credit in the album for Katie George as an associate producer and as somebody who contributed to the arrangement. So I would love to know, what was Katie's contribution and role in this whole production? So I have studied uh, jazz singing and jazz theory, not in a traditional college. I went to school for acting. So then I was playing catch up when I decided to start doing vocal jazz. So I've studied with you know, all the leading vocalists on the scene in Vancouver, like Jennifer Scott and Kate Hammett Vaughan and Karen Plato. And I've also studied, you know, internationally with um, Sheila Jordan and taken lesson with Karen Allison and different coaches for technique as well as jazz. I just tried to cobble together my own education. I actually used to take lessons with Natasha D'Agostino as well before she was so tragically taken from us. And so I'm not immune to to working with someone who's she's like I don't know she's she's only in her early 20s but Katie has worked incredibly incredibly hard to um become an incredible expert in vocal jazz improvisation and theory and she's an amazing transcriber she can just transcribe you know anything and uh, she's got great ears and great sensibilities I love her taste and um, so I sought her out as a teacher, as a coach, and uh, we work over Zoom. And then when the album started coming together, I don't think we officially decided that she was going to be like the associate producer. But what ended up happening was, again, these are all new songs, new compositions, and or, or at least new to the vocal jazz repertoire. So I worked with Miles Black, but I also worked with Katie to come up with, you know, as a, like a sounding board to help decide the arc of the album the order you know just uh she tuned into i was re-recording a few of the vocals and she could she came on zoom into the studio with us but just for rehearsing her pointing out what she heard 
I think it's really it's a bit of a lonely thing when you're when you're a creative, right? I'm I'm definitely a loner. I'm uh-huh. I'm happy doing that, but at the same time and when especially when you don't have an audience to try it out for and it is hard to listen to yourself back and not get discouraged sometimes, so it's nice to have someone that will listen and point out the positives as well as be honest about um, what could be improved. So yeah, Katie was Katie was amazing. She and then she ended up writing the liner notes for the project, and she's just such a you know sunshine like she shines her enthusiasm for um, improvisation and her enthusiasm for and her can do attitude. There's no um, she's just so she's so positive and so helpful and supportive. So I was very 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 lucky i felt very lucky to get her time given the pandemic given that she's doing her master's degree at mcgill and teaching and she does social media and release consults as well and i know i know that at some point when she finishes mcgill she's going to be on the road and in high demand as a as a headliner at she already is um you know at jazz festivals so i was glad to to get um access to her advice and time um to help uh, shape this project and you know to have her and Miles and um, people like Ray Gallen and um, other of the composers weighing in um, you know I'm not very good at asking for help I'm you know I'm kind of a loner I try to uh, figure things out on my own and and I but then it's it's very humbling because you need you need to assemble a team when you're making a record if you want it to be the best it can be. And so, yeah, Dave Sekula also at the helm at Monarch is um, such a, a treasure. It's a great studio, has a great welcoming vibe. And Dave just knows exactly what he's doing so that everyone, there's no, no problems at all. Like, um, you know, having had a few problems, the first album, other horror stories from vocalists um, to trust trust your project with some like uh dave yeah it just means he takes care of business and everything's exactly as it should be so that you have the best files to work with the best choices of takes and yeah it, it was it was a great experience yeah well it's wonderful that's the kind of collaboration i like to see this role that katie's having and obviously what dave's done for you and many of the other guests on this show but i mean i could say that positive attitude and that getting down to business and knowing how to do everything i would say both those things right back at you angela because i see you i see how great of a job you're doing and congrats on such a great album release thanks for taking the time to chat with me today thank you so much well Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Rhythm Changes podcast. If you like what we do here, I invite you to sign up for the free weekly article at rhythmchanges.ca. This week's article available now is about what makes a jazz album heavy. So you can check that out. And if you enjoy it, definitely sign up for more stories that make an impact on the creative music scene in Canada delivered to you every week. You can sign up for the free weekly article on our homepage, rhythmchanges.ca. (laughs) 